Uh, Rooted, I think, is doing a good job of explaining some of that and expressing some of that. Uh, This last week, uh, talking um, about suffering and where God is in the midst of suffering. Uh, This week, uh, Rooted talks about there being an enemy. So if you thought that was deep, it goes deeper. It goes deeper. There's an enemy, Satan. He's very real. His attack is very real. And, and, And for most of you, when I say something like that, you don't really need me to say that because you're alive, right? You, you know what that's like. You, you live your day-to-day life. I, but I remember early on in marriage, and Mary and I, last Sunday, we celebrated our 12-year anniversary, which is pretty awesome. I've been telling everyone it was our 13th. So um, I think that, I don't know what that means. Does that mean I think it's a good thing or a bad I think, I just know that I love my marriage and I love being married. But it was funny. She's like, Dan, it's 12. You got to stop telling people it's 13. <laughs> But at the, uh, when we first got married, I was a pastor before I was married, and uh, then we got married, and, and then we started doing a lot of this together, and uh, we were at a fairly large church in Spokane. I was the music pastor. She was also involved in a lot of the creative elements of the services. She also sang. And for Easter services, you could have well over 2,000 people at our services. And so we just had a lot of people showing up on Easter. But before every Easter, I would get sick. I'd get really sick to where I would struggle to be able to sing or she would get sick or something would happen. There'd always be some kind of a crisis that would occur. And for us, it's like, man, just what, the, what a coincidence, right, that we're struggling right before Easter. Or we would do these worship nights where 300 people would come in and we'd just, for a couple hours, just worship the Lord. And yet before those worship nights, you know when some of the biggest fights ever happened between my wife and I? It was right before those worship nights. And yet, if, if I'm honest, in those early years of being married, we just weren't real sensitive to what was going on. We, we didn't understand this attack of the evil one. And so we thought, yeah, just coincidence or maybe just stress or whatever else uh, we as human beings chalk those things up to be. But then, you know, once we became more aware of what it was, an attack from evil itself, we did find some victory in those times. It doesn't mean that it's easy, but you do find some victory. And so whether it's at Easter or a worship night. Is that my pack? Is this my old school one? I think it might be. Um, that might keep on happening. Do you have the other pack by chance? We'll take a three-minute pause here. could just talk loud, but we want the red one. Check. Hello. Thanks, you guys. Give it up for Kelly and Jeremy. 
Speaking of attacks of the enemy. But you know, we, we <coughs> matured in that. We just, we grew in that. And we became spiritually wise. I think, not that we were perfect ever in that, but through it all, you, you just do. You, you become spiritually wise, realizing those moments, especially those bigger moments where you, where you see that God is about to just break down some walls, right? Like Easter. You ever been to Easter? Like people are coming to know Jesus or worship night where hundreds of people, no one has to go to a worship night. That's why I love worship nights because every person that's at the worship night, they said, yeah, I want to go. And so that's these amazing moments where God can really speak to his people. And, and guess what? The devil knows that as well. Uh, it gets his attention. And so, so we need to be on guard. And I'll just think about your life. And the reality is when you're living for yourself, when you're living for your own plans and your own purposes, I'm not sure the devil really has to waste a lot of time or effort on you. He just knows you're going to be consumed by yourself. And you can just kind of continue that way and live out your life for your own needs, your own desires, your own wants. But when you decide to take a stand, have you noticed this? When you decide to take a stand, when you decide to live for something bigger than yourself, for the Lord and for the glory of the Lord, for His kingdom, it's almost guaranteed. I'll just let you know, you're, you're probably going to face attack. I also find this to be true in the church. When we just stay consumed on our own needs, our own desires, kind of like it's just this meeting uh, where we meet the needs of the members of the club kind of thing that happens often in churches. Usually it'll be okay, and you can do that for 30, 40 years. But then when you actually decide to reach out into the greater community and into the needs of the greater community, that's when real attack begins to happen. And it can happen in many different ways. Just ask a missionary, right? Just talk to the McIntyres in Papua New Guinea. Uh, read any YWAM missionary book. You'll just see story after story of these attacks. And the attack, sometimes it happens, it's a person. Sometimes it's a circumstance. Sometimes it's even the environment. I remember one of the times before we were going to Ghana, Mary and I were walking in this park, and we're like, oh, that's a beautiful bench. Let's sit at the bench. So we sit at the bench. Uh, we're done with the bench. We get up to walk away. The minute we, walk, we get up to walk away, we hear the largest crack ever, and we turn around, and like a third of the tree fell right on that bench. And we're like, what? Are you kidding me? And I was just like, man, I'm happy not to be underneath that tree. It's just, thank you, Jesus. I mean, the attack is real. It's real. But yeah, again, as you grow in Christ, you mature in Christ, you do become more spiritually mature, more spiritually aware, I'd say. And, and you can counter that attack in the name of Jesus. I know that Mary and I, we've grown not perfect again but as much as we can, we remember to pray, remember to put on the armor of God. I remember Ray Wright telling me that. Um, he said, Pastor Dan, every morning, make sure you're putting on the armor of God. I'll never forget that wisdom. Anyone remember the armor of God, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, sandals of peace, the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit? We've also found that in those times, it's really important. And I think this is maybe the most important thing we've found is that in those times to ask the Lord to give us His love for other people. This is a really big one. Because often when the enemy attacks, you can just become really toxic in your attitude. You can become very negative in how you think about other people. I can't stand Facebook. I really can't. Um, I know there's a lot of good things going on there. And for you, those of you that are uh, shining a light, just keep going and, and we're praying for you. But every once in a while, I jump into Mary's uh, Facebook, and I, what I see is I see people sharing wisdom, a lot of wisdom being shared 
on Facebook. And yet it's a wisdom that lacks any kind of love or gentleness or kindness or patience or compassion. And so we just got to be careful, all of us. It's so important that we ask the Lord, especially in those challenging times when the heat is turned up, that even if things aren't going well, even if you're facing the opposition of the devil, that you would still have a soft heart toward God, right? Where you're still loving God, but also a soft heart toward other people, that you would love people, that you would treat others as you want to be treated. And so we found that as we've moved forward in life and continue to step out for the Lord, there is an attack that happens. Sometimes it's sickness. Sometimes maybe it's finances or conflict, or often just miscommunication. And sometimes, you know, you chalk it up all to the devil. But let's be honest, there are times when, when that happens. But for Mary and I, we're able to walk through those things because attack still happens. But we're able to walk through them without them like they used to just kind of wipe us out and completely knock us down uh, now uh, we, we make it through those times much better. Now, there are times in our marriage that we will grumble or complain or bicker with other people uh, or with each other. Um, fights happen. Uh, if you're uh, not married yet and you've never fought with your fiancé before and you're just so happy about that, I just want you to know fights do happen. Uh, doesn't, ma- doesn't mean you made a mistake. Doesn't mean that you married the wrong person. Just means the Lord uh, has an area that he wants you to grow in. So, welcome to marriage. I'm not sure that Mary and I enjoy the fights that we have with each other. Um, Not like, oh, wow, this is great. We're fighting. It's an opportunity to grow. Praise the Lord. (laughs) But I would say, honestly, there's a spiritual maturity that does grow within you that you can get to that place. I don't know. Maybe you've gotten there where you you, you finally just kind of look at each other, right? And have you done this where you just call it for what it is? Like, let's just be honest. This is an attack of the enemy. And so you say, man, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Can we start over? And that's, again, part of the process of maturing in Christ, part of the process of becoming more like Jesus. When you look at your own life, maybe you noticed this. I bet you some of you did, that when you really started living for God, when you took a stand for the Lord, that in many ways, much of your life kind of got worse. Did you notice that? A little bit harder? Now, I think sometimes... It's like we're embarrassed to actually talk about this, right? Or you, you don't want to admit that this is what happened to you because it makes you feel like maybe you did something wrong or, or maybe you're just not a good enough Christian. But you need to know you didn't do anything wrong. In fact, you actually did something right. You took a stand for your faith. But in your standing, as someone wise told me, when you stand, you, you put a target on your back. In standing for your faith, the enemy has taken notice. And, and so there is that... Um, opportunity for attack and and that by the way can be an extremely difficult season especially when you're toward the beginning stages of your journey with christ when you're just learning how to stand for your faith and beginning journey i mean like the first five years of being in the lord first 10 years of being with the lord in those beginning stages it can be hard it can be discouraging it can be depressing That's why it's so important for us who have been Christians for a little bit longer that we would come alongside them, we'd encourage them, support them, just love them, especially those who for the first time are really standing for and walking for God. They need our grace, they need mercy, they need kindness, patience, support. Uh, Often they don't need your wisdom, they need your time, they need your prayers because they have taken a stand and they're on the enemy's radar. So they're going to need the family of God to help them to teach them, to encourage them as they resist the devil. So the enemy is real and the attack of the enemy is real. 
But when we talk about Satan and the attack that you and I face, for the most part, I think it's a lot more subtle than everything that we've just talked about. A lot more subtle. In 1 John 5.19, John says, the world is under the control of the evil one. The world is under the control of the evil one. And because of this, I think Satan, he finds a lot of, a lot of success in, in humans in the ways that aren't just overtly obvious, but are actually a lot more subtle. I think if it was an obvious attack, if a demon was here just chewing off your arm, I'd be like, in the name of Jesus Christ, demon, you do not have permission to be here. You have to leave. And, and the, the authority, the power that we have in the name of Jesus, uh, what, what would that demon have to do? He'd have to flee. He'd have to leave. Obvious attack. But I think his influence is a lot more subtle. Um, I think it's more in how we view life, how we view the world, how we view existence, how we view what it means to be alive. I think it's in how we view the meaning of life, the purpose of life, the purpose of our existence. I, I think he influences us, of course, in our culture, in our society. He influences in what we long for, influences in what we desire, influences in how we uh, spend our time, what we work for, what we pursue. I think he all, uh, often finds success in how we spend our free time. Our free time. In many ways, I was talking to someone about this week. Nowadays, our people are using their free time to look at their phones. Their phones. I think I have a picture of this. People are looking at their phones. That phone does not exist, by the way. If you want the iPhone 20, you'll have to wait another probably five or six years. But I think about it. I, I, it's just true. People are using their free time. And it's not like we have a lot of free time. We're busy people. But using their free time to be on their phones. And much of the time when you're on your phone, you're on a social media site. And so what you're doing, you're reading about another person's life. You're reading about the experiences of others. You're reading about the vacations of others. You're reading about the birthday parties and first days of schools of others. And then for some of you, uh, I know some of you, then you post comments on how other people are living their lives. And that's how millions of people are now using their free time. And yet I'm not convinced it's the best way of our use or one life on this earth. I'll say it this way. God created us in His image, right? We don't completely understand what that means. But in the image of God, we are made. God is the most creative, wonderful, brilliant artist, author, inventor who has ever been and who will ever be. He is creative beyond what we can understand. He's creative beyond measure. And we, as human beings, were created in His image. So we're filled with that creative spirit. We're filled with His creative power. What? To create. As He creates, we bear His image and we create. It's one of the great privileges of being alive. One of the great privileges of existence. I think it's one of the most powerful ways to express our existence is to create we create art and we create music. We create bridges. We create buildings. We create medicine. We create wonderful things, even things like cell phones, right? Hallelujah. There's wonderful things that can be done with a cell phone. It, I, I, the last time I got lost, I don't even know. Actually, that's not true because my cell phone took me somewhere crazy on Wednesday night when I was up in Seattle. I was like, what are you, what? Okay, anyways, that's so hilarious that I just said that. But we enjoy these things. We appreciate them. I, I enjoy the things that man has created. And yet, I mean, isn't there something within you that feels like it's gotten just a little bit out of whack? That we're going to leave here today, many of us, and instead of using our time to create, 
Again, as Christians, the great thing about creating is we create all to the glory of God. As Christians, everything we do and everything we say, it expresses the glory of God. But instead, many people in our town, in our community, is going to go home and watch hours upon hours of TV or computer or phone. And many of us, were teaching our children that this is what it means to be alive. I, I don't want you to think I'm anti-media. I really am not. I, I, I like movies. I like TV. I like my phone. Again, uh, for the most part, it gets me where I need to go. And, and I, I, I look at the news sites and all those types of things. I, I enjoy my phone. It's a great time to be alive. Really amazing technology. But come on, let's not be blind on this issue. Let's, let's have our eyes open. Let's be aware. We've got to admit that there is a subtle attack of the enemy where he is getting us to live for something that is so far less than what our Creator has created us to do. I think there's other subtle ways, thousands of other subtle ways he's working. I just think in the values of our society right now, what's being defined as right, what's being defined as wrong. When you look at the dialogue in our politics and in our, in our governing, uh, the, Satan, he is working in many ways. One of the greatest ways he's working right now and how he seduced us as humans to love the world and the things of the world more than we love God. Right? If there was a, a, a weighing system that we sure do love the world and the things of this world more than we love God. You're going to find this attitude, of course, out in the world, but you find it in the church. You're going to find it in non-Christians, but sometimes you find it in you and me, where we love the world more than we love God. First John chapter 2 talks about this. It's, it's spoken very well. He says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. It's a powerful passage. And it's very clear. Just don't love the world or anything in the world. What does that mean? I mean, he's just saying I can no longer love ice cream because I love me some ice cream. Right, Sonia? I mean, we're ice cream fanatics or cute puppies I, I love puppies i mean have you seen puppies they're adorable walks on the beach man i, I can't wait for that little getaway so that can be confusing right so does this mean i can't enjoy god's creation is it all bad now right i just can't love any of that anymore if i'm going to follow jesus well that's not what the bible's saying at all if you look at verse 16 the scripture says um do not when he says do not love the world or anything in the world he says for everything in the world What does he say? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That comes not from the Father, but from the world. So the things in this world, the things that are from the world, what are they? They are the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. If you're taking notes, you would want to write those down. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. As someone who interacts with numerous people on a daily basis, it's in these areas that Satan really has been extremely successful in distracting us from living the lives that God has created us to live. He's got many people, including many Christians, consumed by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and a pride of life. We'll start with lust of the flesh, and here we're talking about anything to do with physical, fleshly pleasures. It's what our bodies crave, right? It's what we desire. Just think about some of those things, food and sex, shelter, affection. It's just those things that, by the way, are quite normal. In fact, God gave us the need and the desire for each of those things. But sometimes those needs or those desires, they can become sin when they're taken 
to these extremes. In my own life, I, I've seen that basic need for food. Often, it turns into gluttony. I, I've found that to be true again and again. In our society, sexual desire, something that God gave to us, it's, He created it for us to enjoy in the context of marriage, all for the glory of God. It has been taken to unbelievable, heartbreaking places where there's affairs and infidelity and other types of sexual immorality that right now are just commonplace in our culture. Or even that need for shelter, the desire for shelter, it can quickly become where our house or our possessions that are in our house, they become these idols, they become our focus. It's what we invest in, it's what we spend our time in, it's where we spend our satisfaction, joy, and fulfillment, all in where we lay our heads to go to bed instead of in the Lord. So those desires of the flesh, they can be quite consuming, they are actually quite powerful as well. In fact, just in this area alone, you can end up making decisions to satisfy your flesh where you almost wonder, how did I even get here? Right? Where you find yourself asking the question, how did I let that happen? I'm not going to have you do a show of hands on this one, but have you ever made a really big purchase and then a week later or a day later or an hour later, you're like, what did I just do? Or have you ever had a great day of eating just healthy things? We're talking about healthy things. Like maybe you're eating your kale, and you're making good choices, but all of a sudden you drive by the Dairy Queen. And normally you just drive right by it, but there's a drive-thru, and all of a sudden you realize uh, no, thank you. you have a blizzard awesome. in your hand, and now you're eating this delicious, ooey, gooey blizzard, feeding the desires of the flesh, saying, how did I let this happen the lust of the flesh can come upon you like a raging fire (laughs) if that's you i just want to encourage you welcome to humanity right and welcome to the world you're not alone temptations they're a part of being alive but i want to encourage you you don't have to be consumed by the lust of the flesh. Jesus gives us the example on how to overcome these temptations. If you remember, he was baptized by John, this amazing scene, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of his baptism. But then immediately he is sent out to the wilderness and he's tempted for 40 days. And do you remember uh, how, how Satan tempted him? He encouraged Jesus. He said, Jesus, turn these stones into bread. Remember that? He says, turn them into bread and you can satisfy your hunger. And being fully God but also fully man, Jesus was definitely hungry. And so Jesus says, well, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, in that moment, we see Jesus declaring to us that the main purpose for life isn't to get everything we want. It isn't to satisfy all our desires and all our cravings. No, it's actually to do the will of the Father. That we would live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's true for Jesus. It's true for us. So the main goal of life is not to feed ourselves with the things of this world. Instead, the main goal is to feed on the word of God. So important for us to remember as we resist and flee from the lust of the flesh. Number two, lust of the eyes. Man, uh, it's kind of tragic when you think about all the things we see with our eyes. We're used to it now. But the Rooted uh, workbook, it talks about the advertising and how we're just inundated with advertising. We don't even get it. I don't, I don't think we even get it, how much of our society is just full of advertising. And, and, and the workbook said it's all touting the thing we didn't know we wanted, but now we just have to have. Right? The thing we didn't... Oh, go back. 
Fidget spinners. All right, we're moving on. Fidget spinners. I didn't know what a fidget spinner was. They'd been around for a while, by the way. But all of a sudden, everybody needed a fidget spinner if you were 12 or younger. And we were at 7-Eleven waiting for the next shipment of fidget spinners. Like craziness. Or a while back, I, I wanted a robot vacuum. I didn't know I needed a robot vacuum, but then all of a sudden you see this uh, heavenly place. <laughs> like, wow, like, um, I still don't have a robot vacuum, but um, I don't know. It's just like, man, I guess I, I didn't know I needed it, didn't know I wanted it, but now I got to have it. Or flat screen TVs. I mean, now it's all that they sell. But we all had a TV, and it didn't look like this. Remember what our TV looked like? Remember that? And by the way, we were happy with it. I mean, you had to hit it a couple of times, but you were happy. It worked. But then, one fateful day, you went to your neighbor's house. You remember that? I remember in Spokane, we went to Pastor Scott's house. It was the first time I'd ever seen football in HD, high definition, on a flat screen TV. When I went back to my house, that old TV just didn't, uh, just didn't satisfy, didn't fulfill like it used to. I think about things like iPhones, right? You get an iPhone, let's say you get the iPhone 4, and the iPhone 4, it's great, but then did you hear they came out with the iPhone 5? And it has new features, features you didn't know you wanted, didn't know you needed, but now you got to have it. And by the way, they just keep on coming out. What's the new one? Ten, X, right? iPhone X. You just got to have it. Didn't know you wanted it. Didn't know you needed it. Got to have it. I was in uh, Washington, D.C. this year, and I actually really enjoyed my time in Washington, D.C., and all the museums and all the Smithsonian museums are are free to go into, and so we spent days uh, in those museums. And I was at the National Museum of American History, and while I was there, I learned a new term, planned obsolescence. Planned obsolescence obsolescence this is what planned obsolescence is instilling in the buyer the desire to own something a little newer a little better and a little sooner than is necessary wow right instilling in the buyer the consumer me (laughs) the desire to own something a little newer a little better a little sooner than is necessary anyone know where that idea really took off in our society Uh, dave lloyd hammerwood in cars, in the automobile. See, it could have been that you just buy a Ford Fiesta, that a Ford Fiesta is a Ford Fiesta is a Ford Fiesta like a fork is a fork is a fork. But no, you bought a 2016 Ford Fiesta. But then did you hear what they have? The 2017 Ford Fiesta. But wait, did you hear the news? They just came out with, yeah, guess it, 2018 Ford Fiesta. And the 2018 Ford Fiesta, it has adaptive cruise control. Now, I don't know what adaptive cruise control is. I didn't know I needed it. I didn't know I wanted it, but I got to have it. (laughs) The lust of the eye says that if I had it, I'd be fulfilled. I'd be happy. I'd be satisfied. It's the idea that the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. In the wilderness, Jesus was tempted with this. He faced this temptation to covet, and he shows us how to overcome it. If you remember, Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. He offered to give them to him. You just have to kneel, right? Kneel before Satan and worship him. But then Jesus says, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus understood that when you give into that temptation, 
it is very real, but when you give in to that temptation to have it all, you're actually worshiping and loving the world and the things of the world instead of worshiping and loving God. Finally, number three, John mentions the pride of life. Pride of life, I think the best way of thinking about this, and I grew up, a lot of my friends uh, in school, um, you saw a lot of this in them, a lot of this in their parents. It's just the way of saying, I don't really need God. I'm good. Right? I got it handled. I, I don't need Him. I'm, I'm doing fine on my own. And yet the Bible isn't silent on this type of pride, the self-pride. There's many great passages on pride and humility. Proverbs tells us pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Well, Jesus, he was tempted by Satan in this area as well. Satan told Jesus to leap from the top of the temple. Remember that? Come on, Jesus. Show us what you got. But Jesus said, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Think about your own life. If you've been blessed with a position or a title or maybe with some things, you you just got to be careful not to put your trust and your hope, your confidence, especially not your identity in those things. You ever gotten there before? That's a, that's a tough place to be. Because those things that all of a sudden you've put your pride into, they're not going to last. They're not going to last at all. In fact, John says the world and its desires, they pass away. Pass away. But he says whoever does the will of God lives forever. The only way you can live forever is not to live for the things of this world where your significance is in the world, your value is in the world. So all will pass away. But no, it's to live for God, to believe in Him, to follow Him, to give your life to God. And like John says, if you do this, you will enjoy eternity with Him. This pride of life, it forces you to ask some hard questions. I I, I think about this in my own life. Am I living, as I wake up and as I live my life and live my days, am I living for things that will all turn to dust? Right? Am I living for things that will rust, corrode, and fade away? Is that where my pride is? You've got to ask that question, right? I think it's a personal question. Or am I living for things that are eternal? Am I living for things that will go on? Where's your heart with all this? A mentor of mine, he used to say to me, am I more con- uh, concerned with laying up treasure for retirement or treasure in heaven? Challenging, challenging questions. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And with this whole topic, I think when you look at the world, it can kind of feel like Satan is winning in all this. He has millions of people fixated on themselves, trying their hardest to satisfy themselves, right? To be happy, right? Satisfy with things of this world, putting hope and trust and confidence and identity in the things of this world instead of God. And yet this morning, I want to tell you, you don't have to live this way any longer. I love God. I love the power of God. I love the power and the work of the Holy Spirit because He actually, in this room today, He has the power to transform us, to actually change us from the inside out to become more like Christ. In a room like this, there's always hope in Jesus. Regardless of how you came into this service, there's hope in Jesus. Because of God's grace, in a room like this, there's space for us to offer ourselves back to Him, to humble ourselves, all that we have, all that we are, Humble it before the authority and the kingdom of God and choose once again to live for God instead of this world. That you and I, every one of us, we can leave this place with our hearts set on following hard after God. And this is really good news because if you're honest, there might be some places in your life 
that as you came in this morning, the reality is Satan has had more power in that area than he ever should. Satan is actually a defeated enemy, but even though sin and death were defeated at the cross, there's times when we still willingly indulge in sin. In doing so, we invite the devil to have more power than he should ever have in our lives. Remember, the Bible tells us the devil is very real. I think in 2017, you try to just intellectualize him out of the equation. But the devil is so very real. Peter warns us, a warning that sometimes I think we completely ignore, but he warns us. He says, listen up, children. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion. That's not a pretty picture, church. He's looking like a roaring lion. Why? Looking for someone that he might devour. Satan, he looks for footholds. Footholds. He looks for maybe it's pride or lust. In the area of anger, Paul says, don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. He's always looking, always on the prowl, looking for those footholds, looking for those kinks in your armor. That's why it's so important that you would rise up in faith today. That's why one of the reasons, you know, I say no excuses, no pity parties, do hard things. One of the greatest areas where Satan gets strongholds and footholds is when we begin to live by excuses. Because the things the people did are terrible and evil and wrong, but when you begin to make your choices as a place where, well, because they did that, then I'm going to do this. Or because they said that, I'm going to say this. Or because they did this, I'm going to do this. Satan comes in. He's not a dummy. He comes in. He's looking for those opportunities. So important that today, again, regardless of how you came in today, that you would rise up in faith. Don't give him an inch. There's a crack. There's an opening. Don't give him an inch. He's our adversary. He's not our friend. We must be committed to not giving him any ground. Paul says in Romans, he says, you put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. You put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh or to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Don't play around with temptation. Everyone is tempted. Did you ever struggle with this where because you were tempted, you felt like you were sinning? Temptation is not a sin. Everyone is tempted. Jesus was tempted, but it's so important what you do with that temptation. So important. By the way, there are no supermen in this church. No supermen in this church. If you're a guy and you have a phone, you need a filter to help you walk in the light. There's a good chance you might need an accountability partner to help you walk in the light. James tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You can exercise your faith. Whatever measure of faith the Lord has given to you, exercise it today. Actively resist the devil. Life spring. Satan is not a gracious enemy. He only flees from those who have the courage and the faith to resist him in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Remember the power you have as a Christian. You are not powerless in the battle. Romans 8 says the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. I want you to say that with me. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, it lives in you. See, as your pastor, I want you to have victory, but so does God. He wants you to have victory so much. He sent his Holy Spirit to live in you. The Holy Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from death to life. Jesus was not taking a nap. He died. But the Spirit of God raised him to life. 
That Spirit of God is living inside of you. The power of God, the power to defeat sin, the power to defeat death itself, it lives in you. And as you walk through this life, as you walk through the spiritual battles that are just a part of being a a human being, as you live this life, remember that God, God who is for you and not against you, God, the power of God is living inside of you. And by the power of God, you can resist the devil. You can flee temptation. And you can, with the help of Jesus Christ, the lover of your soul, even do the will of your heavenly Father. I want to conclude with this, church. I had this one. Have you ever been in college? Have you ever been in college age? Man, aren't you happy you're out of those years? Woo! Talk about temptation. Praise the Lord, I'm 37. I'm so happy not to be in college any longer. This is the verse I had up on my chalkboard. No temptation, Danny, (laughs) has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And Danny, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, Danny, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. See, by the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, you can and you will endure it. You just will. By the power of God living in you, you can and you will live in great victory today. You don't have to love the world. You don't have to love the things of this world any longer. Yeah, you'll be tempted to, but life spring. By the power of God living within you, you can rise up. You can rise up in faith. You can believe in the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. With his help, you can resist the enemy. You can live for God. And you can and you will live forever. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you did on that cross. We thank you that you said it is finished. I think sometimes we don't understand the power of the cross. The power to defeat sin. To defeat death. But right now, Lord, as your sons and daughters, we claim that power once again. We say that power that raised you from the grave is living inside of us. And in this world, we will, unfortunately, it's sad and it breaks my heart, but unfortunately every day we're going to encounter those lusts of the flesh. We're going to encounter and come across those lusts of the eyes. And we're going to face that pride of life. It's part of being in this world. But Lord, I just have such a confidence today that none of us have to succumb to those temptations. None of us have to succumb to those schemes of the enemy, the schemes of the evil one, where he tries to get us to live for the world instead of you, Lord. And so in this place, Lord, in this moment as we pray, I just felt like when I said that, that, Lord, you want me to tell people that this isn't something about in your head, in your, in your mind. This isn't just a decision you're making intellectually. This is an issue of the heart. That, Lord, we would trust you with our hearts. That living for you is better than living for this world. That living for you, giving you all that we have from the inside out, it's better. It's better than living for the world and the things of this world. And if that's you, if you want to today, once again, just set aside the things of this world and, and live for the Lord. As we're praying, just 
tell the Lord in, in your own way, and it can be silently, it can be in your heart, or it can be out loud. Just tell the Lord, I'm living for you once again. And by the power of God that is residing within me, I'm living for you. I'm living for you. I'm living for you. And, and God, and when you pray that way, and even in this time of prayer, as, as you're praying that, the Lord will begin to illuminate different areas where maybe he has some course corrections for you. Maybe it's an area where it's time for an accountability partner. Maybe it's time for a filter. Maybe it's time uh, to sell something. Or maybe it's time not to make that purchase that you're going to make. Or maybe it's time to invite someone into your house as a roommate. Or uh, I don't know what it is, but the Lord's just going to begin to give you some ways to where you can honor Him with your things. You can honor Him with your possessions. Um, that wealth isn't a bad thing, but the love of wealth is a bad thing. That even in your wealth, you can begin to use it to the glory and, and, and of God. God and for the kingdom of God and I just believe Lord by your your spirit even now you're just beginning to give some of those course corrections to us and so this isn't just our minds saying yes to you God it's actually our whole beings coming underneath your authority bowing low humbling ourselves underneath your kingdom and saying I'm no longer living for the things of this world but in the victory I have in Jesus Christ the victory by the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for me I now choose to live for the things of God and as I live for you God as I do the will of God my creator I have a promise from scripture itself that I will live forever we thank you Jesus in you we live forever in your name we pray amen amen hallelujah would you stand with us let's sing this in victory to the Lord